Reader's Entertainment Radio presents Book Lights with your host, author Lisa Kessler. Book Lights, where we're shining a light on good books. Hello, everyone. Can you believe it is the last Monday in September? We are heading in to spooky season so fast I can hardly wait. But before we do... I'm so glad you guys are here today because we have number one New York Times bestselling author Lee Goldberg on to talk about his new book. And if you have never read his books, you are in for such a treat. And there are lots of them. So for those those binge readers out there listening, pay attention because <laughs> there are a lot of great thrillers here for you to read. Uh, if you haven't read him yet, I'll read his bio here so you can get to know him. Lee Goldberg is a two-time Edgar Award and two-time Seamus Award nominee and the number one New York Times bestselling author of more than 30 novels. He has also written and or co-produced many TV shows, including Diagnosis Murder, Sequest, and Monk, and is the co-creator of the Mystery 101 series of Hallmark movies. He's also an international television consultant. He's advised networks and studios in Canada, France, Germany, Spain, China, Sweden, and the Netherlands on creating, writing, and the production of episodic television series. You can find out a lot more about Lee on his website. He has so much good content on there, guys, so definitely go check it out. I did put a link to his website right there on Blog Talk if you're listening live or if you're listening later. Be sure to check that out. Be sure also to hit his blog. He has all sorts of different interviews and things on there and lots of great content for you to listen to. So without any further delay, are you there, Lee? I am here. And I like your theme song. It feels almost religious. Right. It's just this nice little chat with our tea about books. (laughs) You have a new book, too, Malibu Burning. You want to tell everybody why they should go get it, like, now? Well, they should go get it now because I have a mortgage. That's the main reason. But also, it's great. It is great escapist entertainment, or at least I hope it is. It's about a, a, a ambitious, creative thief who creates the largest wildfire in Southern California history to pull off the greatest heist in California history. And he's pursued by two relentless arson investigators, Walter Sharp and Andrew Walker, one sort of the Sherlock Holmes of arson and the other an ex-U.S. marshal who's hoping to have a safer job so he can come home to his wife and newborn child. But things don't quite work out the way he thinks it will. Oh, well, (laughs) I have to ask, so is this going to be a series or is it just a standalone? Are you going to have a bunch more fire books? Well, it's funny. When I wrote the book, I didn't think it was a series, but now I'm starting <laughs> book number three. Uh, oh, my gosh. The, the, the pre-orders for uh, Malibu Burnings were so high that the publisher knew they had a success, so they put me to work right away writing a sequel. It's already finished. It's called Ashes Never Lie. It comes out in September of 2024, and it's a crossover with my long-running series about uh, Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department homicide detective Eve Ronan. It's a, it's a crossover novel, so it'll satisfy, hopefully, my new readers about, uh, who come to it for Malibu Burning and my longtime uh, Eve Ronan readers. 
Oh, I love that. I love crossovers. It's always so fun as a reader to find little Easter eggs. And was that fun for you when you wrote it? It was fun. I mean, I, I, they, they work in the same universe. And I thought it would be great to bring them together. And, and I had a, a more business-like reason for doing it. Doing this uh, sequel to Malibu Burning so soon meant putting off another Eve Ronan book for quite some time. So I felt I needed oh, yeah. to do something for my Eve Ronan audience who are used to having a new Eve Ronan novel every 6 to 12 months. So uh, that, that took care of that. Nice. Kept everyone happy. <laughs> I hope. I hope. I don't want those fans getting mad at me. They'll be outside my house with spears and torches <laughs> and screaming. It always makes a big mess. <laughs> yes. Well, and I wanted to ask what the inspiration was. How did you come up with this idea to pair a raging California wildfire with a thief? Well, it, it actually occurred to me when um, I, I wasn't a victim of fire, but the, the Woolsey fire was bearing down on my community, and we only had a few minutes to evacuate. So we all packed up our cars and left for several days. In fact, my entire town of Calabasas was evacuated for the fire, and it was just sitting here empty, just a big, fat egg waiting to be stolen. I mean, there are, there are issues. I mean, how do you, how do you go to these empty houses and, and rob them and get away in the middle of a, of a raging wildfire? But right. I thought, God, in a wildfire, no one would pay any attention to alarms. The police wouldn't come. Um, it's, it's almost the perfect scenario, except that you're stuck in the middle of a wildfire. So it took right. some creativity to figure out how my how my thieves would get away with this plot, and I don't want to give it all away, but um, they do come up with a, a, an approach to doing it. And then I, I had to think about the arson investigators and how to make their investigation interesting, since the reader might be slightly ahead of them, knowing that the fire is not all that it seems. So my arson investigators discover it's not all that it seems, and have to figure out what the heck is going on and how these bad guys ignited this inferno without being detected. I love that. And did it just, um, when <laughs> when you had your town evacuated, were you, did the idea kind of germinate then? Is that when it hit you that, wow, if somebody had a fire suit, they could go in there and get things? Or did that well, occur no, to you later? The way it occurred to me was I had, I had done a whole bunch of these Eve Ronan police procedurals, and I was kind of itching to do another big, over-the-top heist adventure novel. Uh, the kind of books that I wrote with Janet Ivanovich and that I've written before, I just liked that, that stage to play on. And, but at the same time, I didn't want to alienate my police procedural audience, so I, I had to come up with a plot that would do both, that would, that would scratch my itch to write something big and over-the-top and uh, a ticking clock adventure, but also uh, a police procedural, and then this, the fire sort of came to me. And then at first I rejected the idea because I'd already written about a wildfire. It, it, <laughs> the ending of my novel, Lost Hills, the first Eve Roden book, it ends in a big wildfire. So I, I can't really do a wildfire. I'd be repeating myself. But then I thought, what if it's the same wildfire? What if I'm talking about that wildfire from a whole different perspective? That way, people who read Lost Hills will look at it in a different way, too, and I can make some oblique references to Lost Hills at the same time. So I, I leaned into the fact I was repeating myself rather than running away from it and made there it the same go. fire that's in my earlier book. <laughs> I love that. And it, when you were talking about that, it reminded me of that um, 
that new uh, uh, Sarah Michelle Geller is in it on uh, Paramount Plus, the Wolf Pack series. And there's this raging wildfire in L.A., but instead of thieves coming out, it's werewolves coming out of the woods. So anyway, so <laughs> lots of fires coming out lately. <laughs> well, I've also dealt with the aftermath of fires. My novel Bone Canyon was it takes place after the the wildfire scorches the Santa Monica Mountains, and all these bodies are discovered. Not people who died during the fire, but bodies that were dumped before the fire and that no one ever noticed because they got stuck in the bushes and, and in the ravines. And now that everything's clear, a bunch of bodies are being revealed, and the cops have to investigate the mysteries that are now presented to them. And it turns out, this is all true, that the gangs in L.A. have been using the ravines of, of the Santa Monica Mountains as their body dump. You know, they'll execute somebody somewhere else and dump the body there. But other things were discovered as well. There was a couple who disappeared on their way back from the Los Angeles County uh, Museum, and their their, bo- their car was found at the bottom of a ravine, so they found out what had happened to oh them. There was uh, a woman with Alzheimer's who disappeared uh, at the far corner of the San Fernando Valley, and they found her body in the Santa Monica Mountains after the fire. So... You know, a lot of mysteries were, were solved by the fire as well. They even found <laughs> the, the wreckage of a solving mysteries. <laughs> there you go. It wiped everything clean, and people came back to their homes and found bones in their backyard that had tumbled oh. down the hillside from the bushes and trees that they were entangled in before. <gasps> wow, that would be creepy. <laughs> yeah, so I couldn't resist writing a book about that. Right? Oh, my gosh. Yeah, definitely. We were talking before the show because I'm from California, and California really does have a fire season. Like around October, everything starts to dry out and get kind of crackly, and everybody gets nervous anytime you smell smoke. Did you get to incorporate any of that kind of thing into your book as well? Well, of course I did. Not only that, we've been suffering up until recently from a, a massive drought that stretched on for years, and it's been dry and crackly for quite some time. Add to that the Santa Ana winds that come sweeping in at 60 miles right. per hour of, of red-hot, <laughs> low-humidity uh, wind, and it, it, it just it's, it's a natural uh, chimney. It's, it's a natural uh, fireplace. It, just, it, 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 it causes fires everywhere. And, and pushes them all the way to the sea. And it's it's a nightmare here. Yeah. Yeah. It's, fire season is a real thing, and it, it's it's wild. Very scary. <laughs> so the combination of the dry uh, hillsides and the Santa Ana winds whistling by your windows, that's enough to keep you awake at night. For sure. Definitely. <laughs> and anybody who has a barbecue going, you're like, what is that? What is that? <laughs> Somebody's house on fire? <laughs> That's true. <laughs> well, I was poking around on your website, and you also have a new book coming very soon in November, but I don't think it's connected. Is it Calico? No, it's not. It's just the vagaries of publishing. I have three books coming out within eight weeks of each other, Malibu Burning, which came out September 1st, Calico, which comes out November 7th, and Dreamtown, the fifth Everona novels, comes out in January. Calico oh is... Is, is similar to Malibu Burning in that it's also a dual timeline thriller. This one is a modern-day police procedural set out in the Mojave Desert, and it's also a period western set in Calico, a silver mining town in 1883, also in the Mojave. 
And what connects these two storylines is they share the same dead body. And I, I move back and forth between modern-day Barstow, Calico, and uh, the police investigation, and also uh, frontier life in that mining town in 1883, which is absolutely brutal. And uh, the stories end up connecting, and uh, hopefully in surprising and exciting and thrilling ways. Oh, my it's gosh, book I can't I wanted wait. To write. It's a book I've wanted to write for years, and the pandemic finally gave me the opportunity to do it. Oh, I love that. I I have toured the Calico mine before, and uh, it is desolate out there, desolate. So, <laughs> so that's really cool that you're bringing, but, you know, Ghost Town back to life. Well, it's desolate, but back in the day, it was responsible for more than 50% of all the silver mined in the United States. It was a boom right. town for 20 years. Everyone thought it would be a major city. And then when the silver and the borax ran out, the town died. You know, what's really weird about Calico is this guy came along, Walter Knight, and decided to resurrect the town as an amusement park. And he, he re- rebuilt Calico, and it was such a success as an amusement park that it gave him the idea for Knott's Berry Farm. And he built Knott's Berry really? Farm and recreated Calico at Knott's Berry Farm and gave yeah. the original Calico to the state. So it's still there as a ghost town, um, you know, roadside attraction. But what's right. creepy about it is it is real. It's not a fake town. He he resurrected the the actual ruins that were there and monetized them. But it's it's bleak and it's it gives you a mm-hmm. hint of what life was like in that no man's land out there in the 1800s. Right. Right. And for anyone who doesn't live out west or has never been there, when you drive like, say, from San Diego to Las Vegas, and you're driving through Death Valley and through Barstow (laughs) and through the Mojave, it is so hot and dry, and there's nothing out there. And you do have these, there is the big freeway, so you're not all alone. But you do have these thoughts as you're driving down this freeway, and you see one lone trailer out there. (laughs) You're just like, how do you live out here? It's like 125. And you do have those thoughts of it is such barren, harsh terrain out there. My son once we were driving and my daughter was a figure skater and we're driving through the desert and the I'm in a rental because I'm driving through the desert and I didn't trust my car. So we're, we're driving and all of a sudden the gas light comes on. And I probably was near Barstow at the time. But anyway, we hadn't gotten there yet. And so there's nothing out there. And my son, who's like maybe seven or eight, hears the little ding go off. And he goes, are we going to die by the side of the road and become skeletons? And I thought, that really is what it feels like out here, right? And, and that's how Calico starts. No, it's but yeah, you do have those thoughts driving between Los Angeles and Las Vegas. And I passed yeah. Calico so many times, and I was out on that lonely highway. And mm-hmm. the story for the book came to me fully formed, and I've carried it around in my head for years. And it just oh, turned out that. that during the pandemic, I was between contracts, and I had nothing else to do. So why not write this book on spec? And I, I, I did it because if not now, when? And I'm so pleased I did, and I was worried about how it would be embraced. And I'm fortunate that the early reviews have come in, and they've been really, really, really good. So I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic that the book will do well. 
Yeah, I was really interested when I read the the blurb about it and the dual timeline and all that kind of thing. But did you have, was it super fun for you? I don't know that you've ever written like a historical thing. So going back in time to write Calico when it was a boom town, was that fun for you or was it super hard or? (laughs) It was Super fun and super hard. I've always wanted to write a Western, but I wanted to write a gritty, realistic Western, not the, the kind that we see on TV where everyone's clean-shaven and, and, exactly. and it makes the West seem, seem so easy. But no, I mean, it, there was sewage running down the middle of the streets, and it was hot and miserable. People smelled awful. They didn't shave. They had rotten teeth. Uh, disease was everywhere. And so I, I wanted to write about the way it really, really was. But the problem with writing a, a authentic Western is – Nothing you can do, <laughs> nothing I could write that didn't require me to do research. The moment the hero right. stepped out the door, I had to describe the door and what was out right. there, what they were wearing, how they ate, how they drank, how they, how they kept themselves clean or not clean, how they dealt with their horses, whatever. Right. I had to do so much research. It was just, <laughs> I hated myself because of all the research I had to do. But when I actually sat down to write it, I had enormous fun. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I wrote one, one historical paranormal novel that was in, I mean, novella that was in a series of novels. And I thought, oh, my gosh, I don't know how historical authors do this. Because same thing, I had to figure out what, what were the streets like in Paris in that time? And what kind of shoes did they wear? And I thought, oh, my gosh, how do historical writers do this? Because there is, it's a lot of work. Well, even writing contemporary stuff, at least for me, requires huge amounts of research. I didn't know anything about arson. All I knew about arson was you light a match and and put it against something flammable. So I had to read a ton of fire investigation textbooks. I had to read a whole bunch of articles. I had to go out and interview arson investigators to learn more Mm -hmm. about what they do and, and, and how they put together cases against arsonists. And it was, it was fascinating. In fact, I don't want to give it away to your readers, but the approach I came up for setting this arson has never been done before. And I contacted an agent at the ATF and told him my idea, and he swore at me. And I said, why are you swearing at me? He said, because now we have to go out and do it. I said, what do you mean? He says, we have to set some fires the way you described. You're going to go set fires? He said, well, not in the woods. But, yeah, we have a testing area. We're going to have to now set fires the way you described so we could see if we could ever detect them. And he did. They, they set these fires in, in a whole bunch of different circumstances and, and, and sent me the videos and wow. also the test results and stuff. It was, it was wonderful. Oh, that's amazing. How cool. And did it work? Was your theory correct? Oh, yes, yes. But he says, now if we have a fire that looks kind of suspicious and, and the way that you described, we can, det- we can look for this method of arson and see if we can detect it but we wouldn't have occurred to us if you hadn't called us. He said, that's why we like working with writers. You guys have imaginations. We're bureaucrats mm-hmm. with guns and badges. <laughs> yeah, well, we, we, we're we paid to dream things up, so it's sort of our, our str- strong suit. <laughs> oh, exactly. I mean, it used to be a thing, maybe it still is, where uh, the FBI and the CIA and other law enforcement agencies would convene writers together and say, give us some terrorism ideas how you would attack New York or how you would attack Dodger Stadium or whatever, because we had imaginations or have imaginations, I should say. Right. And, and the 
the law enforcement doesn't, and it gives them new ways of thinking to try to get one step ahead of the, of the bad guys. Right. In fact, oh I wrote God. a novel about that. I wrote a book called <laughs> True Fiction about a novelist whose advice to law enforcement starts coming true. Oh, no. <laughs> so then they're the number one suspect. <laughs> yeah, the author is. Yeah, it, it, uh, it, was a, it was a fun book to write, and it was also, I, I'm pleased to say, a big success. It led to a series I hadn't planned on writing. But, you know, you don't, you don't turn away from success. If the readers want That's more, right. you give them what they want. Exactly, exactly. That's too funny. <laughs> well, I wanted to ask you about, because you also write for TV, and I'm not sure that our listeners know what your writing journey was. Did you start writing TV and turn to novels, or were you writing novels and then went to TV? Do you do both now or only novels? Well, I do both now, but the way I started was as a novelist. I sold my first book when I was 18 years old. I was a student at UCLA, wow. and it was a, I don't know how much time you have to tell the whole story, but um, the book was a big bestseller, and I was hired to write the movie adaptation, and that's how my screenwriting career started. They, they started at the same time. And throughout oh. my career in television, I wrote books as well. Like when I was doing Diagnosis Murder, I wrote the Diagnosis Murder novels, when I was doing Monk, I wrote the Monk novels, and I also wrote uh, standalone books on, on the side. And uh, I've always kept the, my book set of my career going while I was working in television. And I think about 10 years ago, uh, I made the conscious decision to focus more on books and less on TV. And uh, it's, I still keep my hand in. I still have, um, I mean, all my books have an option for film or television. So. Um, that keeps me involved as well. And then I created that series on Hallmark, which sadly was recently canceled. Um, no, it's it's great. Two different kinds of writing, two different ways of telling a story. It's, mm-hmm. it's been exciting for me. I think as a novelist, you have much more control over everything, don't you? As opposed oh, to yes. TV yes. or movie. Yeah. Yes. I mean, when you're making a movie, you're you're working in a factory. I mean, you're you're your script is basically the blueprint for a lot of other professionals to do their jobs. It's not a, a piece of prose. And, you know, you're, you're, you're dealing with budgets in the tens of millions of dollars. You have people who are watching very closely how you spend that money. And you're delivering a product for a customer. In this case, the customer is a television network. And they have mm-hmm. demands. They have things they, they want and don't want. And you're working with a lot of people, not just the cast of the show, but all the people who, who make that show. Uh, so it's it's a gigantic uh, collaboration. Yeah, so a lot different than in your little writing cave. <laughs> uh, yeah, a whole lot different than me in my underwear eating Oreos and typing seriously. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and, and laughing at yourself because that was brilliant. <laughs> no, no, I, I'm more more often sobbing. I'm a fod. It's going to be revealed Aww. in this book that I'm I'm nothing. Oh, my gosh. We're so funny because every book my I think to myself, is this the one that only I will enjoy? Um, <laughs> oh, I think that with every book. And I'm always yes, relieved everyone. when they do well. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, speaking of, what what are you working on next? Can you tell us? Is it top secret? No, no, food? no. I am sitting here working on the third Sharp and Walker novel, so the second sequel to Malibu Burning. And it will oh, be out okay. in spring of 2025. Oh, exciting. So 
I I've never written about um arsonists. Do you have arson investigators, I mean, so do you have to like brainstorm how to do a fire differently every time? How is that how is it different than like a regular police procedural? Well, it's no different than a regular police procedural when you're trying to come up with a different murder and how to how to solve that murder. I, I'm coming up with a, a certain kind of fire, and then how my my investigators are going to discover a how that fire was started, and b who set it. So I, I I'm not reinventing fire. I'm just thinking of what's the most interesting way of committing this arson, and what clues will make it challenging for my heroes to. Uh, put the the crime together and and hunt down the bad guys, and that's true of any uh, any mystery novel that you're writing. Well, when you have the arson investigators, if they find out that someone has been killed, then do the police come in too, or do the arson investigators get to finish it out? They work with homicide detectives, which is how I brought in uh, Eve Ronan into my last novel. Oh, okay. So if they discover a body, then they work on the fire angle and the police detectives work on the actual Yeah, they work hand-in-hand with the homicide detective. Okay. So you get a whole team going. Yes. Yes, and and there's also jurisdictional issues because my arson investigators work for the Los Angeles County Sheriff's Department. And um, if a fire takes place, say, on on the edges of of both L.A. County and the LAPD jurisdiction, you get into some disputes over who actually is going to investigate this crime. Or if the fire starts in Los Angeles County jurisdiction and then it's a serial arson and the other fires are within other jurisdictions, it creates a a nightmare as well. And some arsonists use that to create confusion and make it less likely they're going to be found because they know there's going to be all these different detectives, people stepping on each other's toes, that their their arsons might not even be detected, much less solved. Oh, I see. And I love when um, when I'm reading a you know mystery thriller where it, part of the hindrance is the bureaucracy of whose job yeah. is whose, and because that's very real. You know, you watch the documentaries, true crime documentaries, and a lot of times if the killer knows where to dump a body where you have, you know, is it the sheriff, is it the police, is it the FBI, you know, it, it can really hamper the investigation just because of the bureaucracy of whose job is it, right? Yes, that's a key running theme in all of my Eve Ronan novels because she's an L.A. County Sheriff's detective and her cases often cross into LAPD or other jurisdictions. And it was certainly the case with the um, the wildfire because it's fire doesn't pay attention to jurisdictions or county lines or city limits. So it's the same thing. You, you get a lot of, of other jurisdictions involved, a lot of other bureaucracies, and it becomes an adversary as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my gosh. Well, I can't wait to read the book. (laughs) Um, So quickly, because we are running out of time, but our listeners always love to add to their to-be-read piles. Who do you like to read that gets you, you know, fired up to go write your own book? Well, lately I've really been enjoying Mick Herron's Slough House series. They're terrific books. Uh, They're spy novels with a sense of humor. 
you can never go wrong with a Larry McMurtry novel or a Michael Connolly novel. Um, and my brother Todd has a new book out called Gangsters Don't Die. It's the end of his very acclaimed trilogy about a hitman hiding out in Las Vegas as a rabbi. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That sounds fantastic. <laughs> yeah, and, he's been doing great with those books. I mean, star reviews from all the magazines. He's gotten raised from the New York Times. It's a lot of Hollywood interest. The books are great fun. Oh, my gosh. Now, if he got some sort of movie deal, would you get roped in to helping to, you know, make it for a screenplay? Nope, nope. He'll go nope. with other people. <laughs> okay. <laughs> no nepotism there. <laughs> no, no. We, we, we're doing a bunch of events together. If you go to LeeGoldberg.com and look at events, you'll see that uh, Todd and I are doing signings and, and talks all over the West Coast um, over the next eight weeks because his book just came out as well. So we're, we're taking our show on the road. Ah, fun times. So everybody definitely go check out the website, sign up for the newsletter so you don't miss an opportunity to see the Goldberg Brothers. How fun would that be? And if you go to the Poison Pen book site, bookstore website or Facebook page, you can see the, uh, the event that Todd and I did there just a few days ago. It was all on video. Oh, fun. That's the best thing to come out of the pandemic, I think, is learning to use Zoom. So now if you're not living, you know, close enough to go, usually you can see it, which is awesome. Yes, this was in their store. It looks more like a TV show because we were there live in their, their store and they had cameras in the store that projected the thing into Facebook Live and YouTube Live and other platforms. Love it. Well, before we run out of time, how can people get a hold of you when they're excited about the book? Are you on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or X? I am everywhere. Facebook, Instagram, <laughs> Twitter. I'm standing outside your door right now. Um, but, yes, you can find me. I'm at Lee at LeeGoldberg.com. I'm also Lee Goldberg on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all those places. Just don't confuse me with Lee Goldberg, the New York City weatherman. I cannot tell you if it's going to rain or snow or be hot tomorrow. <laughs> okay. We won't hold you to that. But thanks so much for being here. It was great chatting with you. It and everyone, go grab Malibu Thanks for joining us on Book Lights. Be sure to connect with us at www.readersentertainment.com for articles, blogs, videos, and podcasts that matter to readers.